Have you ever woken up from a really deep sleep very suddenly? Like one second you're dozing and the next your eyes are open and you're just looking around. <laughs> Aren't you confused? Hey, things are foggy. For this moment, uh, before you remember anything, you can barely even recall your own name. All the thoughts you had before you went to sleep are about to start coming back to you. But they haven't quite done that yet. You know you've got responsibilities waiting for you, but they just don't feel understandable. They're undefinable at the, this split moment of time. You know that time I'm talking about, right? Uh, I feel like a lot of the time when we try to come up with a description of what a church member is and what we should be doing as a church member, that's kind of how we feel. We know somewhere uh, what a church member is and what it's supposed to be, but we've become so accustomed to being a church member that it's kind of like the air we breathe and not something we think about very much, and oftentimes we neglect some of those responsibilities. Now, this foggy state is natural, not gonna lie, it's natural, but it's not us at our best. We want to be sharp, focused church members who are totally set on filling our biblically defined duties as followers of Christ and members of a local church. A refresher every now and then can go a long way with reminding us of who we're supposed to be as a church member, what our duties and obligations are. So that's what we're going to do on this episode of Church Basics. Last week, we talked about what the church is by talking about the nature of the church. You know, the definitions and descriptions that scripture assigns to the church. But there's more to understanding the church than that. In fact, there's no way we can talk about what the church is without talking about who makes it up. The church, big C universal church here, is a massive beast. I mean, it's an institution that has ministered to the world since the ascension of Christ. Even so, with no members of the church, there is no church. Whether the church will effectively carry out the mission of Christ wholly depends on its members, you and me. And that's true for our church as well. Whether we at Trace Crossing are going to be able to fulfill the calling that Christ has placed on us with our uh, mission to love one another, to love God, and to make disciples of all nations, if we're going to be able to do that, comes from us as church members. So let's get down today into what it means to be a church member. Alright, so one question a person might raise is, why do we even need something like church membership? Well, some people have been critical of the idea of church membership. Uh, some will say that church membership is not necessarily a biblical idea. They believe that the call for church membership is adding to the scriptures, um, since the scriptures in their minds don't speak to church membership. 
Uh, in other cases, some churches have cited the tendency uh, that's common in our culture to avoid commitment as justification for foregoing the idea of church membership altogether. Uh, church events and practices in this kind of model are just a la carte. Come when you come, participate as much as you want, no hard feelings if you decide it's time to hit the road. Uh, the reasoning goes that these people are scared away from long-term commitment and uh, are wary of joining a church, committing uh, long-term. So in their mind, uh, if we want to reach more people, we should do away with church membership and all of the commitment uh, that comes with that. So I hope I can convince you today uh, through this episode that church membership is both biblical and wise. All right, so first I want to point out to you uh, that the idea of church membership is embedded into the biblical text almost almost as an assumed idea. I mean, no. Paul never wrote to Timothy, you know, while you're at it, uh, make sure you keep a list of everyone who's in and who's out. Uh, but just because the text, that text doesn't exist doesn't mean the whole idea is just biblically bonk. Well, let's begin, as we talk about uh, church membership being biblical, let's begin by stating that church membership and salvation are closely tied together in Scripture. Uh, I'll start by making a pretty scripturally irrefutable statement. Coming to faith in Christ means you automatically become a member of the universal church. Here's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So as we become members of Christ in our salvation, we become members of the universal church. In the same way, uh, in Acts, time and time again, it refers to believers coming to faith in Christ and being added to the church. So what does scripture record as a response to these new converts? So they receive Christ and then go worship him in a deer stand by themselves? No, they give themselves towards the ministry of local bodies of believers. All right, so church membership is tied to salvation, and church membership is also part of fulfilling the commands of the New Testament. There are several commands in the New Testament that would be exceptionally difficult to follow if it weren't for church membership. Uh, the letters in the New Testament frequently call on uh, church members to love one another, to serve one another, to live in harmony with one another, to build one another up. These are often called the one another commands of Scripture. Um, it seems like these things would be impossible to follow if there wasn't a clear indication of who we're supposed to love, what, who the one another is in our own lives. Furthermore, elders are called to shepherd the flock that's been entrusted to them. Well, how on earth are they supposed to do that if they don't even know who the flock is, right? So clearly, Scripture seems to assume that Christians know who's among them and who's not, so they're better able to love and to serve one another. Church membership is a way of being able to identify those things so we can fulfill the calling the Scripture has placed on us, fulfill the um, commands that Scripture gives on our life. So church membership is biblical, but church membership's also wise. What about that question of effectiveness that we asked earlier? Does calling people to church membership hamper effectiveness in a world that's so averse to commitment. Yeah, honestly, I think we're kind of blowing it by requiring church membership in that way. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just messing with you all. I think church membership may turn some people away 
But I think in the long term, commitment in church membership to a local church is a wise way to create strong, committed disciples of Jesus. Here's why. Church membership, number one, encourages you to invest in the welfare of your church. I mean this at an institutional level and personal level. If you're committed to your local church, you want to see it thrive and succeed. Uh, The success of its ministries and activity are going to matter greatly to you. More importantly, though, you'll want to see to the welfare of other church members. If you're committed as a church member, um, you're not going to just duck out when leaving when these people gets hard. Though you're committed to their welfare heretofore. As such, if, if everybody is committed to one another and they're all pulling in the same direction um, in, in love and service to one another, that creates a much more healthy and thriving church membership. But church membership also, number two, creates a stronger accountability structure. Becoming part of a local church means submitting to the guidance and leadership and authority of that church. If you don't have a commitment in membership, you might be merrily singing, I've got no strings. I've got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret, or make me frown. But when the temptations of life hit you hard, you may wish you had something or somebody to hold you down. When you're submitting to church membership, the elders of the church who lovingly lead you are better able to be uh, to keep you accountable and keep you from the destructive forces of sin. Uh, so speaking of leadership of elders, um, the practice of church membership helps leaders to lead. As uh, elders exercise pastoral care, they need a definite understanding of who's you know actually under their care. Uh, church membership, um, if done properly, should provide a pretty clear list to elders um, to show them who is under their care and who needs that uh, pastoral uh, attention. Um, and furthermore, membership helps leaders to identify people uh, to serve that are willing and able and gifted to serve in, as part of their uh, congregation. If leaders don't know uh, that you're committed for the long haul, uh, it's really tough to place you in a service or leadership position because there, there's a bit of, uh, number one, hesitancy about, you know, is, do I know this person well enough? Are they gifted? Um, and, and number two, uh, if you're not certain of the long-term commitment, you say, ah, well, if I put them in this position of leadership, uh, are they going to duck out on me um, here and leave me high and dry later? So that's just a summary of a few reasons why I think church membership is a, is a wise and practically helpful idea. Um, there are more reasons why to have a robust process of church membership, but I hope these uh, basic scriptural and practical reasons should shed uh, some light on the reasons why we need church membership. Um, next, I guess, I should address who a church member is and what comes along with that. Now, with all this talk about church membership, we got to ask, 
who can be one? All right, that's a fair question. So let's answer it. Let's go through the basics of uh, who a church member should be, you know, base, the basics um, from Scripture and that sort of thing. And then we're going to get uh, more specific and go through the membership process at Trace and see how we define church member. All right, so I'm going to start with this. This is a radical, unbelievable statement. Are you ready? A church member must be a Christian. I know, I know, I know. I'm blowing your mind here, but this is an assumption that we make as Baptists uh, that is actually not so assumptive. I guess that's a word. Uh, spell check didn't call me out on it. Um, it's actually not so assumptive in uh, church history. Um, we take for granted the fact that... Uh, Church members should be uh, born-again Christians, but that has not always been so much of a slam-dunk thing throughout church history. Um, let me quote here Dr. John Hammett, uh, who has written pretty extensively on Baptist teachings um, on the church. All right, so here's what he says. In the early centuries of Christianity, persecution largely assured that none but genuine believers sought to be associated with churches. But churches also had their own check. Most employed a time of training for those seeking baptism and church membership. The training was called catechesis in the period of time in the catechumenate. Uh, baptism was administered only once a year on Easter morning, and so the catechumenate could last many months, in some cases up to three years. But gradually, infant baptism began to be practiced, and baptism as a whole became much more widespread and was uh, practiced much less cautiously after the conversion of Constantine. Armies marched in by rank to be baptized in a church membership with little regard for whether they had faith in Christ or not. Rodney Stark says of the 4th century church, the church made it easy to become a Christian, so easy that actual conversion uh, seldom occurred. So, uh, in other words, church membership has not historically always been defined primarily by whether someone uh, believed in Jesus for salvation. In fact, in large parts of church history up until uh, the Anabaptists and, and Baptist movement, church membership was more connected to citizenship in, uh, in a country or a state um, than it was in salvation in Christ. So, baptizing their child into membership in the Church of England was simply the duty of every mom and pop in England. So you'll hear quite frequently that the, the parents acting as sponsors profess faith on behalf of these children uh, being baptized. However, we as Baptists believe that it is not possible to believe on behalf of another person. Therefore, uh, the church membership of one who was not baptized and made into the uh, member of a church on the basis of their own faith in Christ is illegitimate in this definition. Uh, church members must be those who have believed in Christ for salvation. They must be Christians. Uh, so this concept that only Christians should be church members is known as regenerate uh, or, you know, kind of born again. Uh, regenerate church membership, and it's the basis for um, many of the distinctive beliefs about the church that Baptists hold. All right, so we said that a church member must be a Christian, uh, but we also want to point out that a church member has been baptized. They must be baptized. 
So if in that last little bit I was talking about, you picked up a link between baptism and church membership, uh, you'd be correct. Historically, Christians have linked baptism and church membership for good reason. Uh, when you look through Acts, Christians were almost always baptized before they were admitted, admitted into church membership, and a lot of times uh, directly after um, their conversion. And so, furthermore, Christ commands the baptism of his disciples. So, to go into church membership without baptism would be to go into it uh, in immediate disobedience, which would force you back to baptism, lest you run into church discipline. Anyway, uh, not to get too deep into the woods of all that, just know that baptism is required for church membership in virtually every church, um, Baptist aside. Uh, when you combine that principle that a church member must be baptized with uh, the principle of regenerate church membership that every Christian, or excuse me, every church member must be a Christian, poof, uh, you get believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is a hallmark of Baptist theology. It's the basic principle that if you get baptized, you better be converted uh, because you'll immediately become a member of a church and only Christians can be members. All right, that principle is pretty foundational to Baptist churches. Hope I was clear on that. Uh, feel free uh, to let me know if I need to clarify anything about that. All right, so I hope I've convinced you that membership is important. Now I want to go over our membership process of Trace. Uh, if you're a member, you may think, yeah, yeah, don't really need to know all that. Uh, but I promise you, there's an instructive reason for uh, listing these um, membership requirements out. All right, I'm about to read it. This list comes from our church bylaws. Uh, to be a member, you must have, one, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Two, must have been baptized by immersion in believer's baptism or petition to do so at Trace Crossing. Three, must verbalize testimony of spiritual journey to senior pastor or other designated elder or pastoral staff member. Four, must have participated in the church's current membership uh, information slash orientation meeting. Five, must have... Uh, demonstrate a desire to be engaged wholeheartedly in the beliefs, values, vision, mission, and purpose of the church at Trace Crossing. And six, must be willing to strive to adhere to Trace Crossing's membership commitment. All right, so what's the purpose of reading that uh, list of membership requirements? Well, I wanted to point out to you the, the basic purpose of having a membership requirement. At Trace, we want to balance joy at the prospect of someone considering joining us in membership and, on the other hand, taking care to make sure that that someone who's considering membership is, is truly born again, who's, who's regenerate um, and understands what they're committing to in church membership. Uh, requiring believer's baptism, an interview with an elder, membership orientation, and member commitments are um, all meant to be uh, safeguards against baptizing um, and admitting uh, by transfer people who aren't actually Christians. Um, personally, I'm pleased with our requirements for membership. Uh, I think they strike a good balance between helping new members get started on the right foot and working towards a born-again-only membership without being uh, too intimidating or overbearing or just an unnecessary bar, uh, the church membership. 
So I do want to highlight one part of that process. Uh, it is must be willing to strive to adhere uh, to Trace Crossing's membership commitment. Um, Baptists have historically created church covenants. Uh, you might think of these documents as just kind of a, a relic of the past. You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of old, old churches will have it like framed and, and put up on the wall of the vestibule. Um, and when you come in, you'll see it. And it says, you know, um, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, we uh, covenant together to blah, blah, blah. And they'll have things like um, encourage one another at good works um, to uh strive to live faithfully, to um, not pursue uh, worldly pleasures, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a church covenant. You know what I'm talking about. Now, you may think of that as a relic of the past, but what those covenants actually uh, signify is pretty important. Um, when a member signs onto a church covenant, they're willfully agreeing to give themselves com completely to the statements in that co church covenant. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of parallel in, in a way to marriage. When you're married to someone, um, you are bound by covenant to them uh, to um, certain things that you agree to in your wedding ceremony, where you agree, you know, to uh, love through good times and bad, to love for the duration of your life, uh, you know, other things with that, um, you know, like supporting, loving, blah, 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 all those good things. Um, it's similar in a church covenant. You are agreeing formally uh, to do and be a certain set of things for the benefit of your church. Um, so it's meant to be a document that holds all the members of that church accountable to the same standards and highlights the seriousness of our ties to one another. All right, so we don't use the language of, of covenant in describing our this document. At Trace, we opt for the slightly less binding uh, terminology of commitment. Uh, but we have certain expectations for one another that are codified and that we agree to in the membership process. If you were a member at Trace, uh, you have made certain commitments to other members of our faith family. Um, it goes against my better judgment to read them all here, so I won't. They're a bit lengthy, um, but please, please, please take a few minutes of your day and, and well, a few minutes is probably stronger, probably just a minute, maybe two. Uh, I'll take you how long it'll be to, to read those, um, but please, please take some time to do that. I'm going to either link to a copy where you'll, you'll find it later, or I'm just going to put the whole text in the, the show description where you can read it. All right, one last comment before we go about a sort of unpleasant topic, church discipline. We will cover it more extensively in one of the later episodes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the whole thing, we'll go through Matthew 18, I'll give you the definition of it. Uh, we'll go through the process of, of how that works, um, but we won't do all that here. I just want to give a basic comment about it since it links up with the topic of church membership. Uh, church discipline is a process that's meant to be kind of a second guard on our membership after uh, the initial gate of the membership process, you know, of, of becoming a member. Um, so discipline is primarily a restorative process used to encourage Christ-likeness in one another and our members um, so that we live 
the truth that our baptism is declared that we are a new creation in Christ. All right, in times where a member falls uh, short of that, we come alongside uh, one another to encourage one another. And, and part of that is the church discipline process where we... Um, where we kind of formally uh, call people back to a life of, of righteousness. Um, when the next step has to be taken and, and we go to the an area where, where a member has fallen far short of those, those membership commitments and the uh, calling of Christ on their life, um, and they are in unrepentant sin, we pursue the very painful process, something that has not been done since I've been at Trace, uh, the very painful process of excommunication or putting that member outside of the church in hopes that they eventually repent and are able to reflect that Christ-likeness, that calling of baptism uh, on their life. All right, that just about wraps it up. So thanks so much for hanging in there with me. Um, as we go, I'm going to challenge you in one way. Read the membership commitments. That's, that's the first part of the challenge. Uh, read the membership commitments. I was serious about that. And ask yourself if you fall short in any way. If you feel like, hey, you know, I'm not living up to these standards. I've, I've misplaced, I've misstepped at some point, uh, and you're falling short. And just ask yourself, what practical steps can you do to improve in that area all right and last like last week um if you have any questions you can email those to me and i'll try to answer them on here if i can uh you can email me at avery at uh god bless and i hope you have a great day